born to die that he might give eternal life that I might live Welcome to Yankee Arnold Ministries. Dr. Arnold will be with you in just a moment, but first, we want you to know how much we appreciate your prayers and financial support. You may help this radio ministry by donating online at yankeearnold.com or by mail at Yankee Arnold Ministries, 7028 West Waters Avenue, Suite 316, Tampa, Florida, 33634. Again, that's 7028 West Waters Avenue, Suite 316, Tampa, Florida, 33634. Feel free to send Dr. Arnold your questions or comments to yankee at yankeearnold.com, and he will respond as quickly as possible. Now, here is Dr. Arnold with today's message. I want you to take your Bible and turn to the book of Matthew. Let me read you a nice little story that I got. From Marv Jansen. Marv Jansen came from Florida Bible College, came all the way out there to Colorado. And he worked in our bus ministry, stayed at a turkey farm, and the poor guy just did all kind of work. In the wintertime, working on the buses, and uh, didn't, didn't get paid much at all. We couldn't pay much. But we had a lot of people that worked so hard. They sacrificed so much. And, um, but he uh, drove that first van to pick up kids when I had to have somebody do it. And so he drove his van, and then next thing you know, we're driving buses. But he was a good man. And um, anyway, uh, he sent this to me. I thought I would just share it with you. A married lady was expecting a birthday gift from her husband. For many months, she had admired a beautiful diamond ring in a showroom. Knowing her husband could afford it, she told him that was all she wanted. As her birthday approached, this lady awaited signs that her husband had purchased the diamond ring. Finally, on the morning of her birthday, her husband called her into the study her husband told her how much and proud he was of having her for a good wife, told her how much he loved her. He handed her a beautiful wrapped gift box. Curiously, the wife opened the box, found a lovely leather-bound Bible with the wife's name embossed on it in gold. Angrily, she raised her voice to her husband and said, With all your money, you gave me a Bible? And stormed out of the house, leaving her husband. Many years passed. And the lady was very successful in business. She managed to settle for a few more beautiful house and a wonderful family. But realized her ex-husband was very old and thought perhaps she should go to visit him. She had not seen him for many years. But before she could make arrangements, she received a telegram telling her that her ex-husband had passed away and willed all of his possessions to her. She needed to come back immediately and take care of things. When she arrived at her ex-husband's house, sudden sadness and regret filled her heart. She began to search through her ex-husband's important papers and saw the still new Bible, just as she had left it years before. With tears, she opened the Bible and began to turn the pages. Her ex-husband had carefully underlined a verse, Matthew 7:11, And if you, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children... How much more shall your heavenly Father, who is in heaven, give to those who ask him? As she read those words, a tiny package fell 
dropped from the back of the Bible. It was a diamond ring with her name engraved on it, the same diamond ring which she saw at the showroom. On the tag was the date of her birth and the words, Love you always. How many times do we miss God's blessing because they're not packaged as we expected? Trust Him always. He knows what is good for you and may even ignore what you thought was good for you. Do not spoil what you have by desiring what you have not. But remember that what you now have was once among the things you only hoped for. If your gift is not packaged the way you want it, it's because it's better packaged the way it is. Always appreciate little things. They usually lead you to bigger things. Isn't that good? I thought you'd like that. So, I had uh, something interesting happen this week. I was in the study, minding my own business like I always do. And lo and behold, James Taylor comes walking in my office. He says, Preacher, this guy here, I want to introduce him to you. Well, his name was James Taylor something. So there were two James Taylors in my office. And uh, they thought that was kind of cute. And uh, James was thinking that he was the better of the two. I said, well, if I had to choose, I'd choose him because he's a lot younger. he got more time to live. But anyway, it was an interesting conversation. But there was an a robbery right down here at the 7-Eleven, right down from the church. Six people had come in there, and it was on the news. I didn't see it on the news. I heard about it. But I had just finished the radio broadcast Friday morning, and we'd gone live. And so we come down here, and we'd get ready to turn, and you could see the TV people was out there. So I looked, and I said, what in the world is going on there? Anyway, we come up here in the house. I goes in the office. James introduced the guy to me, and he's from this TV station. And uh, I didn't know what number it was or the name of the station. Said, wanted to know if he could get an interview. I said, sure. <laughs> I wasn't sure what it was about. And it was about the, the robbery. Well, I didn't see the robbery. I don't know anything about the robbery. But anyway, they wanted to do a little brief interview. So anyway, I got a chance to explain the gospel, but I don't know what they put on. I haven't seen anything. Anybody in here see anything at all? You saw it? I saw a little bit. My mom actually called me in. She said, hey, Joe, you're getting the answer. I walked into the store yesterday, and the lady, she says, saw you on TV. I said, that's nice. I, I didn't. But you never know what is going to happen at any given time. I just finished talking about you, James. But it was good. It was good. And uh, how the other guy whose name was James Taylor also... Yeah, but he was a lot younger and better looking. And uh, <laughs> yeah, I would, I'd venture to say you could. But I thought that was you know very interesting. And uh, I, I want you to take your Bible and look at this here in the book of Matthew and chapter five. Matthew chapter five and verse thirteen. Look there, verse thirteen says, "Ye are the salt of the earth." But if the salt has lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing to be cast out and trodden under foot of men. Now, the Bible says that we are the salt of the earth. It also says we're the light of the world. But have you ever tried to put some salt on your eggs and it's all gummed up and you can't get none out? 
and you really shake it and you can't get none. So you pound it this way, and then you can try to get some out. Sometimes that's what God has to do to try to shake us up a little bit so he can get the salt out and uh, get us into the, the, to the world where we're supposed to make an influence. Uh, salt has an influence to whatever it goes on, and it preserves, and it gives it a good taste. Well, you and I, as the salt of the earth, uh, sometimes um, we're, we're salt shakers. We have to get other Christians to kind of, you know, got to shake them a little bit, get them to do the things that they're supposed to do. But he also says there in verse 14, Ye are the light of the world, a city that is set on the hill cannot be hid. And then he says, Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and they give a light unto all that are in the house. In other words, the light doesn't determine where it goes. This just, you just supposed to shine. And the Bible says that you light the candle and you put it where you need the light to be. In serving the Lord, we're supposed to be faithful and shining and let God put us where he wants us to be. You see, you don't know the best place to be all the time. So you let the Lord lead and guide you. And lo and behold, he says, if you'll be faithful to shine, he says, he doesn't want the light to be hid. He doesn't want the light to be put under a bushel. So it means that God wants to use all the lights. But sometimes we don't like where we've been placed. We don't like what we're doing. Now, the other night, uh, well, last Sunday, you know, I've had over the last couple of years, I think two people that have asked me about putting my videos on YouTube because they get them off of our church website. I guess that's where they get them from. Anyway, they wanted to put them up there. And I'm really not sure who they are. One of them I think I know, but I'm not real sure. I think one of them went to Arvada Christian School years ago, if that's the guy. But anyway, they put them up there, and people go and see them. And I had this guy come to church last Sunday. And some of y'all remember he was from Seattle, Washington. And I, I didn't know him, but now I know that his name is David Nesbitt, something like that. Anyway, um, I think it was Steve Pasternak that brought him down to the front and introduced him to me. And so he wanted to, you know, to talk. And, uh, you know, in between Sunday school and church, there's not a lot of time. So we just couldn't find any time then. So I says, well, we go after, after church. We'll go get something to eat, and you can go with us. We'll talk. He said, okay. So after church was over, we, we go down to, um, I don't know, I think it was Chili's, and we got something to eat. So he sits there and starts talking to me about how he came to know the Lord. And I thought, this is, this is strange. His testimony was very strange. But it was very good and interesting, and I, I wanted to know more. And anyway, it boiled down to it that he had trusted the Lord from watching the YouTube from Seattle, Washington. And um, he wrote me this letter. And um, he had a couple words in it that I had not paid much attention to before. And those two words were culturally relevant. And so I liked his letter. And he wanted me to let people know, you know, his testimony. And I thought, it's a good letter that could help somebody to see how, you know, people can trust Christ to save you. Just put out there a good, clear gospel message, and I thought it was a good testimony. But I did get an email back, and the question was what it means to be culturally relevant. 
And this letter I got back says, how would you know you aren't? <laughs> if I could have went through that in a thing, I'd have slapped the jaws a little bit, you know. But I did get a, 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 some mighty good comments that they really enjoyed the letter. And I thought, this is this, it's good. But this is what he says. And this is what I had wrote in the letter. It says, last Sunday, April the 28th, I had a young man named David Nisbet who visited our church from Seattle, Washington. He approached me after the service to tell me why he desired to share with me his testimony. My wife and I took him to a restaurant, heard what he had to say. I asked him if he would email me what he had said. And so below is his letter with just a few things edited out that I felt were unnecessary with his approval. Nothing had been added to his letter except the words I highlighted in bold. So everything was in his letters, what he wrote, and I just highlighted it in bold. He says, my experience in the emergent or emerging church. He said the word emergence refers to the hierarchy of the board that, and the, the emerging church is the church itself. And after I read some of this and checked out a couple of things, I thought it's more like the submerging church instead of an emerging church. Anyway, he said, I attended an emergent church from Mosaic from 1994 through 2005, pastored by Irwin McManus. Well, he had a link, and I went on there and checked it, and what he said is it's there. The purpose of this paper is to detail my experience in the emergent church movement and the problems I see underlying this movement. In an interview, McManus gives advice to young people going into the ministry as pastors, stop preaching the gospel and start telling stories. So, so this is a hallmark of emergent church movement. Pastors relate funny, interesting, and adult stories from their lives instead of teaching Bible doctrine. Now, I tell a lot of stories, but I teach a lot of doctrine. You come here, I teach a lot of Bible because I believe that's important. And then I use a story if it helps in what I'm doing. But they have their stories and they try to find the scripture that helps what they're doing. So there's a difference. Pastors relate funny, interesting stories. He says instead of teaching doctrine. Scripture is used merely to provide a context for the story. The attitude or explicitly stated by McManus to us was that if we were depending on his messages to feed us the word of God, we were going to starve. Through McManus did have an evangelistic zeal for Christ, and to his credit, he did teach that we were sinners in need of a Savior. His lack of respect for Scripture and the necessity of teaching it had uh, predictable consequences. He says the consequences of his teaching, and he says personally. After 12 years of attending this church and going to Bible studies, I had no consistent understanding of what the simple gospel of Jesus Christ was. I woke up one day and asked myself, what is the gospel that saves us? I could not answer that question. I do not blame Mosaic. That was the name of the church out there in California entirely for this. I had a Bible. I could have opened it, read the book of John, found out. However, I would, I would get terribly confused whenever I tried to figure it out. I'd read the book of First John, and there were scriptures like First John 1 John 1.8 that clearly said everyone still has sin. If you say you have no sin, then you're a liar and blah, blah, blah. He says, then I'd read 1 John 3, 4 through 9, where it says that if I commit even one sin, I'm not born again. That is why God made preachers to teach the newborns in Christ like I was how to rightly divide the word of God. And then he makes this statement about cultural relevance. I didn't put that word in there. He did. 
He said, because the most defining attribute and the closest thing to an absolute in the emergent church movement is the call to be relevant to culture, one of Mosaic's explicitly stated core values is relevance to culture is not optional. But anyway, he goes down and says a few things, and I uh, myself, I never thought too much about the culture. I mean, I went to Indian camps, and uh, yeah, they have a different culture than ours, but I wasn't going there to try to change their culture. I went there to preach the gospel. And the message that I had learned, I never changed it. When I got a chance to speak, I talked to them like I would talk to them if they was in ranch or if I was in church. I might add a little bit more humor to it or something. But I gave the same message. The same gospel, believe it or not, will work. I don't care where you are. And we had at one time 27 different Indian tribes. And you're talking about a lot of different Indians. And I don't care about all their culture. All I know is that I got something you need. I don't care what it is. You're lost and you need to be saved. And all I have to do is present the truth. And if you hear it and like it and understand it, and you can trust Christ as Savior. And I never worried about trying to study upon, no, I got to know their culture. Now, if I was going to be a missionary and stay there for the next 10, 15, 20 years, I might you know, need to know all of that stuff. But I always went as an evangelist. And I didn't pay no attention to it. I really didn't care. When I was up in Georgia and I preached around and even if I talked to blacks, they got a different culture, but I don't care about that culture. The gospel still works the same. Black people can understand the gospel just like an Indian can understand the gospel or a white person. I've been all up in the Northeast where they, you know, you get all the, the northerners, the Yankees. Well, I preached to them, but I preached the same message. I've been in Alaska. I don't know if they got a different culture or not. I didn't see nobody living in big blues, and I didn't see the Indians living in tents, you know, and riding horses and shooting bows and arrows. But even when I was in Colorado, they, they might have been a little bit different, but, you know, the same gospel works. I don't care where you go. When I went down into Mexico, I had to have an interpreter, but that's okay. They just said whatever I said, and they trusted the Lord. I didn't have to study 1,500 years of their, you know, their background, their culture, why they do what they do and all the gospel still works. Now, I could spend my time doing all of that, and if I was a missionary there, I'd try to maybe all this, the cultural stuff. But when I went to Egypt, when me and Ray went, I had some people that had been working there for years. They were missionaries to Egypt. And so they told me, now, you don't understand the culture here of the Egyptians. They're stoic. They don't openly you know, laugh. They, they're very poised in what they say and do. And, you know, they have a more firmer outlook on things and all. So they don't take humor very well. And they don't usually respond to the gospel. So given the forward invitation, they're not going to do anything. I listened to the guy. He sat right down here on the front row. And I got up here and the place was packed. And I wanted to find out if whether or not they could understand a joke. And so the pastor was sitting up on the stage. And so my interpreter standing here. And I told him about my dad. How my dad says that I was the ugliest kid in the world. But my dad had never seen your pastor. And buddy, did they come unglued. They laughed. They thought that was the funniest thing. 
And I says, so much for culture. And I went ahead and I told a few more nice ones. And I had them, you know, right, they were right there. I gave the gospel and they started raising their hands all over the room. And the guy stood up and he turned around and he was looking like this here. No, you got to give them the gospel. That's what changes things. And the gospel has the power to change culture. So that's, that's where it's supposed to be. But anyway, he says, the story of my life in the emergent church would not be complete without a word on how I was redeemed from this. In the summer of 2012, after eight failed years of finding a church that would simply teach the word of God fully and completely, I finally decided to watch hundreds of videos on YouTube to try and see how exactly one is saved. Mosaic, the church, was a lordship salvation church. And while that wasn't necessarily its focus, you still could only guess if you were saved by whether you were living the life. Eternity in hell was an unbearable thought. And that was what was at stake, and I didn't know. And I begged the Lord in prayer to show me the truth. I told him that whatever the Bible says about being saved, that is what I would believe and preach. This was an incredible, painful time. I did not know one person I could trust with my eternal destiny because no one could prove to me whether I was saved or not. And there were so many diverse teachings. Obviously, there's only one truth. So most of them were false teachings. Certainly the Lordship Salvationists I watched on YouTube couldn't because you constantly had to be living the life. And if you messed up, you would even lose your salvation. Imagine my horror when a false teacher on YouTube demonstrated that because I had sinned willfully against God, Hebrews 10, 26, applied to me, and that not only had I lost my salvation, but I might as well tattoo the word hopeless across my forehead because I was no longer savable. There remaineth no more sacrifice for my sins. I was devastated. All the while I kept crying out to God literally with a fear that only one who knows there is a hell but doesn't know that he's not going there can cry out. Then he has, our Lord is faithful. I've always been kind of a doubter. You would think that that might be a hindrance to coming to the knowledge of the truth as presented in the gospel of Jesus Christ. The funny thing is that God used my doubt to lead me to him. During this process, I started in July of 2012. And even though I was being buffeted on all sides by all manner of mostly false teachings and even tricked into believing them for a short time, my doubting became strength. I refused to trust what these men said because of that very doubt. I needed to be proven in the Word of God by a clear teaching from the Word of God what the truth was. And I believe God that would provide me a teacher to do exactly that. So I kept watching videos for months. Around October, I saw a video by a man with a funny name, Dr. Ralph Yankee Arnold. By this time, I had started Googling and YouTube and every passage of Scripture that people use to defend their position on salvation. One Lordship Salvationist used 1 John 3, 4 through 9 to show that you cannot practice sin if you're saved. If you do, then you really aren't saved, according to him. So in my YouTube search, I brought up a fateful video by Yankee Arnold. You should know that I feared the book of 1 John greatly. I'm a software engineer. I'm very logical. There is on the surface a huge contradiction in 1 John, 
between 1 John 1, 8 and 1 John 3, 9. And I'd read 1 John 3, 9. Now, you know what 1 John 3, 9? That, um, you know, if you believe on Christ and you trust him as your Savior, that you cannot sin, being born of God, you cannot commit one single act of sin because his seed remaineth in us and we cannot sin. So, anyway, he was referring to that verse. So, it seemed like a contradiction. One is you can't sin, and the other one that says if you don't say you're sinning, you're lying. So it does seem like there's a contradiction, unless you can explain it. So he says in 1 John 1, 9, and concluded that there is no way I'm saved because it says you cannot sin at all if you're born again. Then I watched Yankee Arnold's teaching on that passage. I couldn't believe it. Someone actually made 1 John make sense with no contradiction at all. Sin nature versus the spiritual nature. And his teaching had to be true. It's the only one, 1 John, can be interpreted without contradiction. Being a logical person, I simply can't accept someone's teaching that is illogical and that contains contradiction. Sound like Spock, don't you? From that moment, I just started watching Yankees videos and a few other teachers like Hank Lindstrom. Isn't that something? You just happen to, just happen to find those out there. Finally, the Lord revealed to me that simple gospel as contained in the book of John. All of a sudden, like a bolt of lightning from the sky, I saw his simple plan all over the place. I'd ask, how are you saved? And he'd show me a Yankee or other true teacher video, John 6, 47, believe. How? John 3, 14 through 17, believe. John 3, 36, believe. And oh, by the way, David, that's his name, has his present tense right now. You want a guarantee? No problem. Read Ephesians 1, 13 through 14. I've been sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise. Now, if someone says I am not saved, they're calling God a liar. And if God promises it, do you think you can lose it? I doubt it. So now I have the true gospel of Jesus Christ. I had the right Jesus and the right message. Died on the cross for my sins, buried and resurrected. And I wholeheartedly believe in Jesus and his message. I am therefore saved and not unsavable. Thank you very much, O false teacher on YouTube. Now, he wasn't referring to me there. And he says, and oh, thank you, Dr. Arnold. And thank you, Jesus. Well, I hope this message will be of some help to you. And he wanted me to share it with others because he was just so thankful that he now he knows he has eternal life. Now, he may not have looked like it, but he was 53 years old, never been married, and but he'd been searching. And all that time, just think how many people, it's like this, I've said before, it's like climbing a ladder for 20 years and find out it's leaning on the wrong wall. And there's some people that do all this all their life and then they, they don't have any answers. And so, therefore, we ought to be very thankful that we, we know the truth, we know the gospel, and that's why it is so important to keep getting the message out. And like I mentioned to you about the one that from the, the, the Philippines, I got another letter from a guy in the Philippines this week, and uh, the one a couple of weeks ago from over there in England. But there's people that are taking, once the message gets out, it's amazing how God can use them. You see, if we just be faithful to shine, then then God's not going to hide the light under the bushel. He's going to put it up on a hill where it can be seen. So that's why I didn't produce all those messages. You see, that's because y'all give money, and we hire Greg, and Greg does all the videoing and the editing and puts those things up there, does it on the radio, and 
all the people that do all the work that makes it possible, I haven't got time to, to make these things. But the people that we have work here do it. But the people that work here, you, you pay them. And because of every individual, you won't know until you get to heaven to find out how much fruit has come because of your labor, your sacrifice, what you have done. See, I, I do this because I want you to know that God is using you. He may use me, but if I didn't have you, I couldn't do it either. So every person that works in the ministry helps make something like this possible. How permanent is your salvation? Can you lose it? Are you 100% sure that you'll go to heaven? To help you in answering that question, Pastor Yankee Arnold has prepared just the right book with answers straight from the Bible. The book is called Gospel Driven Man, and Pastor Yankee wants to send it to you free of charge. Simply write to Pastor Yankee at Yankee Arnold Ministries, 7028 West Waters Avenue, Suite 316, Tampa, Florida, 33634, and request the book or request by email at yankee at yankeearnold.com. That's yankee at yankeearnold.com. Jesus is coming, so keep looking up. Thanks for listening to today's broadcast. We pray that today's message was a blessing to you and your family. You may help support this radio ministry by donating online at yankeearnold.com or by mail at Yankee Arnold Ministries, 7028 West Waters Avenue, Suite 316, Tampa, Florida, 33634. Friend, one day it will happen. The trumpet will sound and we will be changed caught up to meet the Lord in the air. So live today and every day, believing that the Lord is coming soon, and just keep looking up. Amazing grace amazes me.